Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart here, welcoming you here to something a little bit new. Um, we are launching a new segment on the Wealthion channel right now, which we're calling creatively Weekly Market Recap. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, just sort of a, a post-game analysis of what the markets did this week. Um, I am joined by Lance Roberts. Hey, Lance, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, Lance, I'm super thrilled you're here for me for the inaugural weekly market recap. You and I will be doing this hopefully weekly going forward if folks like this new format. Um, I announced last week on this program that your firm, RIA Advisors, has just joined Wealthion as one of our endorsed financial advisors. Super excited to have you on. I've had lots of great feedback from folks uh, about that announcement. Uh, but one of the things I really respect about you and your firm is you guys are great capital managers, um, but you are also real students and scientists of the markets themselves, and you produce a ton of content during the week, uh, analyzing, reacting to, articulating for folks to help them understand what's going on sort of on a play-by-play -play, uh, basis for the markets. And so I'm really excited to bring that intellectual firepower to folks here in these weekly market recaps. Hey, well, we're glad to be here. And, you know, that's because I have no life that we produce all these charts. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that for your sake, but selfishly glad that we get to just suck all of that from you. So um, let's yeah. let's jump right off here. So um, we'll kick off these segments with sort of a theme of the week. What is the theme of what the markets have done this week? Uh, Fed. <laughs> Fed. All right. Gosh, I feel like we might have that theme a lot going forward, but OK. <laughs> yeah, you know, but, but no, it really is. A, you know, just uh, this earlier this week, I was on Fox Business with Charles Payne talking about this very idea. And he, he brought up a very interesting old police song, you know, talking about the master and the slave. And he's, he asked me the question, he says, well, who's really the master and the slave? Is, is the market slave to the Fed or is the Fed the slave to the market? And, it, and it's a really good question because, you know, if you think back over the last year in particular, what's been the primary argument for a highly overvalued market that just kind of kept going up? It was the Fed, right? So as, as long as the Fed was doing $120 billion a month in liquidity, why not just take on all kinds of risk? You know, buy AMC and GameStop and, um, you know, any type of meme stock that came on. Fundamentals don't matter. It's all about liquidity in the Fed. So, you know, at the same time, the other side of the argument is also is that, well, the Fed will never let the markets correct because if the markets fall down, then you lose consumer confidence. That impacts the economy. So maybe the Fed is actually slave to the market. It's, it's a very interesting marriage that we have going on between the Fed and the markets because really they are both held hostage by each other. And the question is really ultimately who is going to blink first? That's going to be the, the big question. And that'll be the question I think we'll see answered this year with now the Fed minutes earlier this week, you know, what caused the sell-off uh, earlier this week. And I do want to touch on, on that uh, here in a second, but what caused the sell-off earlier this week? Well, that was the release of the Fed minutes, which was a lot more hawkish than what the Fed had originally kind of alluded to. The Fed was saying, hey, we're going to hike rates sometime in June, and we're going to taper the balance sheet by $15 billion a month, and it's all going to kind of work out really nice and everybody be happy. Well, the minutes come out from December, and all of a sudden we're talking about a March rate hike, and we're talking about rolling off the balance sheet even faster. The market was not ready for that. So again, we had this correction earlier this week, 
And the Fed is now in a really tough box. This employment report today um, that came out on Friday um, was much weaker than expected. They were expecting over 400,000 jobs. ADP had reported a much stronger number than that. And the, and the job report came in about 199,000 jobs. Um, while the report was weaker on the employment side, what was interesting about that report is that wage growth grew um, in line with inflation. So you're still seeing very sharp rises in wages. That puts the Fed into a tough box here because the Fed has got to really run monetary policy based on inflation. And that increase in wage pressures is certainly an inflationary pass through the economy. And that is going to impact profit margins. That is going to impact economic growth down the road. And the fact that wages aren't keeping up with real inflation is going to impact consumer consumption later on this year. So I'll shut up now. <laughs> okay. No, no, that's, that's great context. And, you know, I'm so tempted to get into my regular macro mode that I do on my my normal interviews. Uh, I want to make sure we keep this one about the the market action, what happened this week. So I'll be brief here as well. But um, so you know, basically, kind of key development this week: the Fed or the, the Fed minutes uh, sort of surprised the market because they show that the Fed is even more aggressive than what the markets were led to believe by the end of last month. And I just want to make sure I have my math right. Um, the Fed had been putting 120 billion dollars. Um, into the system monthly for a long time um, and said, we're going to start tapering that. We're going to take maybe 15 billion off a month uh, as we do our gradual taper. Then a few weeks back, Powell said, now we're going to accelerate that. We're going to do maybe 30 billion a month. But if they are going to hike rates in March, they kind of have to get through whatever they have left in the next two months, right? Here's the thing that's important about what you just said is that, yes, they are tapering faster. What the market is, and this is the interesting part about the market. Okay, so what was the argument over the last two years? Don't fight the Fed. The Fed is liquefying the markets, buy stocks, markets are going up. Now the interesting change to the commentary by the bullish commentators are, hey, fight the Fed. It doesn't matter that they're taking away the liquidity and, and hiking interest rates. Stocks should do just fine because the economy is really strong. You can't have it both ways. You cannot have an overvalued market that is justified by low rates and lots of liquidity and then say you can have an overvalued market because you've taken those things away. That just doesn't work that way. And the aggressiveness and the speed at which the Fed is now talking about tapering and running off their balance sheets, I think will have an impact on these higher risk, higher beta names in the markets. And, and look, we're already seeing it now. It, 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 you know, while you may look at the index and say, well, the S&P is only down a couple of percent from the peak. It's sitting right on the 50-day moving average. This correction this week was really you know, kind of normal. It's pretty much the same thing we've seen over the last year and a half where we have these retest of the 50-day moving average, we get a rally to new highs, we kind of consolidate sideways, and then we sell up to the 50-day and wash, rinse, and repeat. And that has been the case, except underneath the surface, and particularly if you look at the NASDAQ, you have a record number of stocks that are down 50% from their peak, yet the index is still trading near all its all-time highs. And that's because the cap-weighted index is pretty much ruled by the Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon family of stocks, right? You've got a tremendous amount of devastation going on below the surface. And, uh, and unfortunately for Kathy Wood, she's a great example of exactly what's going on. Take a look at the performance differential between the NASDAQ and, ARC, and the ARK ETF, and it shows you exactly what's happening here. 
Um, you know, that's what's happening below the surface. So what we're talking about, we're, you know, we're talking about the Fed's going to impact the markets. It's already happening. It's just you don't see it yet because it's not happened to the generals, those leading the markets. But when that occurs, there's really nowhere you, for you to go to. And this is going to be an interesting point when we talk later on about in this year about the value versus growth trade. One of the interesting dynamics about the market right now is if you take a look at the value sectors, real estate, utilities, consumer staples, energy, those make up a very, very small part of the overall markets. All your growth stocks, your technology stocks, your financials, those are your major market healthcare. Those pretty much take up most of the S&P index. So when we see this rotation of value, it's going to rotate into some of the smallest sectors of the market, which means it won't be able to offset that decline that you may see in the technology names themselves. So in other words, if Apple, Microsoft, and Google give up the ghost, and I'm not saying they will, I'm not saying that at all, but if they do, trying to hide in the value sectors may not really help you that much. All right. Wow. Well, okay. Great context. Um, you know, we're basically seeing a market that um, uh, the, the pain is already being taken. As you said, it's just not being taken by the generals. It's being taken, we'll call them by the infantry, right? By the, the, <laughs> the smaller companies that are out there. Um, all right. So, uh, and really, you know, you said kind of the, the, the big resolution that we're about to find out the answer to is um, you, you kind of gave two contradictory beliefs earlier here. Um, about you know the role of stimulus in propping up asset prices or whether asset prices can continue to stay where they are without the stimulus if it gets pulled away. We're going to find out the an that answer that question relatively quickly. So let's talk about what actually happened this week. So uh, uh, you know markets down, I, I believe, over the course of the week. But, but what happened this week, uh, just sort of market action-wise, that caught you and your team's attention most? Well, uh, you know, so again, if we go back and, and I've actually did a video on this on Monday, yeah, on Monday, talking about the market is repeating the same old pattern. And what that pattern was going back is that we have this kind of market rally, the market kind of stalls sideways, and then it kind of retraces back to the 50-day moving average, and then rallies again back to new highs. And it's just been a stair-step process over the last year. Well, going into early December, we talked about, you know, the market was due to correct in early December because mutual funds had to distribute all their capital gains, exactly what we saw happen. On that pullback in the markets, we overweighted equities in our portfolio for the Santa rally. That worked out really well. And on Monday, because of, of the market had gotten back to overbought conditions, we were stretched above the 50-day moving average a good bit. Uh, we took off all those trading positions and raised cash in portfolios. Now, um, that all worked out well. And then on Wednesday, the Fed announces this more aggressive policy. Now, the market corrected. Now, if you watch CNBC or some of the mainstream media, it was markets in turmoil. Oh, my gosh. You know, the, everything's falling apart. Run for the hills. You know, and I can just almost see people running around waving their arms and stuff. <laughs> and that's not what happened. We, we just had a correction back to the 50-day moving average. And, you know, so if you're a passive indexer, and this is a real key point that we're going to see come along this year, I think. If you're a passive indexer, the market pullback to the 50-day moving average is no big deal. If you own a bunch of individual equities, particularly these high beta names, they got crushed. 
You know, we saw companies like Asana and Adobe and others that were down five, six, seven, eight, nine, twelve percent in a day um, because of that idea that higher interest rates are going to start to impact profit margins, lack of liquidity, and this real idea that you know people are starting to kind of come around this idea we're going to have slower economic growth, which means these profit estimates that we're all banking on, these earnings estimates to help support these excessively high valuations may not actually come to fruition. So all of a sudden, people are having to rethink how they're, how, they're, how they're trading their portfolios. And we saw that start to really kind of rumble through the markets. But this is, but you know, this idea of passive indexing is really important because as we were talking about a minute ago about the generals and the infantry, you know, at some point, if we start to see a, a market beginning to deteriorate on a regular basis and we begin to break real support, we're going to have a repeat of what we saw back in March of 2020. Because when all these people that are passively indexing in ETFs start selling those ETFs, that exacerbates the selling and all the underlying individual securities. So those are already getting sold. And now, you know, again, I'm, I'm picking on ARK and I really shouldn't, but it's a great example. It's just kind of where we are in the world. You know, if I, you know, all these stocks in the ARK ETF are already under pressure, if everybody starts, and she's a big fund, right? She's, you know, 12, 13, 14. I'm, I'm not sure how big her fund is now, but it's billions of dollars. If everybody starts liquidating that ARK ETF, that's going to put additional selling pressure on all those underlying stocks because she's got to sell those stocks in order to meet those redemptions. It's not free money. It's not just sitting out there. Um, but this is, and this is going to lead to this idea that all of a sudden market corrections aren't going to be like what you and I grew up with in 1999 or in 2008, where a bear market lasted 12, 18 months and you had you know, counter trend rallies and balance of, uh, bounces, even in the downtrending market, it's going to be a market where you're down 30, 40, 50% in the course of a couple of weeks because of this mass liquidation effect that occurs from the selling of passive investments. And, you know, when I always kind of chuckle, people tell me, they'll say, well, you know, when the market starts to sell off, I'll, I'll get out of the markets. No, you won't. You won't have time. <laughs> By the time you realize that the market is down 20, 30, 40, 50%, it'll be too late to sell. And that's and that's what we saw happen in March of 2020. Um, and that's what we'll see happen next time. All right, so well, some really great points in there. And, and I really appreciate you sort of flagging the the dynamic that the these over-concentrated positions um, that, uh, you know, I mean, the, the top five, six, you know, FANG stocks. Um, I don't know what the new acronym is, but you throw Microsoft in there now, right? Um, and, uh, you know, they make up huge amounts of, of the major indices that we've talked about, but, but they are in so many mutual funds and ETFs out there, it's ridiculous. So if those things go down, you know, they're taking just massive swaths um, of, of the entire market down with them. And then, of course, you talk about the dynamic of people who say, well, all right, look, it's getting hit. I want to sell out. Well, those forced redemptions add to the selling pressure. So you create this, this vicious cycle there. Um, all right. So when so it sounds like this week, one of the things you're watching really closely is to see if the historic pattern of, you know, coming down to the 50 DMA and then bouncing, um, you know, if, if we go, if it's just business as usual, you know, we come down, we, we, we tap it and then we, we go back off to the races. Or I assume if we break through it and continue down from here, that's maybe an important signal to you that, hey, things are different now, that the, the, the Fed is changing the rules here. Um, and, you know, we got a different market than we had for the past year. Is that correct? 
So now we're talking a little bit about portfolio management and the things that, and how we manage risk in portfolios. So if you take a look at our portfolio, our portfolio looks a lot like you were just talking about. Look, money is hiding in, a, in the most highly liquid stocks. I can own Apple and Microsoft and Google and Amazon in my portfolio because I can get out of that stock without dropping the stock, you know, four, five, six points trying to get out of it. And one of the one of the big problems with the market, and because of this passive indexing problem we alluded to earlier, is what's called a lack of liquidity. And the reason that you see a company like Asana or Adobe or Snowflake or Palantir or Etsy, you, know, you name, name the company, right? Um, the reason you see these stocks open down five, six, seven percent and finish the day off down 12% is because of this lack of liquidity. When these stocks are going up, there's plenty of buyers willing to buy it, and they've got to buy it at a higher price in order to find somebody to sell it to them. Let's not forget this is a market. For every buyer, there has to be a seller. Well, with a lot of these companies, there's the, the, the volume is so light in these, and there's so few shares outstanding that when they start to sell off and the seller steps up and says, hey, I want to sell my shares, the buyer's going, yeah, I'll buy it from you but it's going to be about 15% lower. And so prices have to come down. That's why you see these big drops. And the reason that hedge funds, mutual funds, pension funds, portfolio managers like me, um, we're hiding assets in companies like Apple, Microsoft, Google, because I don't have to worry about that. If the market opens down 5% one day, Apple's not going to be down 5% and we'd be down 1%. I've got time to get out of it. You know, an Asana or a Google, uh, sorry, an Asana or a Snowflake or an Etsy might be down 15%. And you know, that's the risk of portfolios. So when we start, so now to your question, you know, our portfolio is built to withstand volatility, but it's also built to generate returns when markets are going up. When we start to see changes in dynamics, so like I said earlier, the market was overbought and extended. We took off our trading positions. We raised cash. Why did we do that? Well, we were worried about the Fed minutes coming out and what they might say. So we wanted a little bit more hedge in our portfolios. Cash is a great hedge. I can't lose with cash. If I try to short the market, it's great, but I could be wrong. That's putting capital at risk. Cash, I've got no risk. So we raised some cash. Now we're watching that 50-day moving average. But if we break it, it's not the end of the world here because we broke it back in early December and we tested two standard deviate. Now this is a little bit technical mumbo jumbo stuff. So just bear with me. That's okay. People are here to learn. So it's all good. Well, so if, you, if, if we measure market movements in terms of what we call standard deviation, and we look at historical trends of standard deviation. So in December, the markets got oversold, two standard deviations below their 50-day moving average, bounced, went right back up to an all-time high. So we've got a range that we can work with now. So if we come back down, break the 50-day moving average, as long as we stay within that bullish trend line that we've been building really since, uh, since the October lows, there's really not too much to worry about. Right, we're gonna have an opportunity actually to get the market oversold and to put some capital back to work. So that money, that that those shares of SPY and our trading positions that we sold earlier in the week, we now have that cash. We can put that back to work. If we start to break that long-term trend from last October, now we're talking about a different type of market, and this is where we're gonna start talking about raising more cash, looking to get more defensive. One area that we've been, been buying into this week as well, we're buying bonds, um, buying long-dated treasury bonds. We had shortened our duration a good bit going into the Fed meetings and expecting rates to rise, which they've done that now. Bonds are very oversold here. 
And if we do get a risk off market, bonds will be risk on. In other words, money will move into treasury bonds for safety. Now, this is not a long-term bet on interest rates. This is a, this is a, this is a hedge bet uh, on safety. Two things that happen with 10-year treasuries and, and, and longer duration treasury bonds when the Fed is tapering is rates fall rather dramatically. So as opposed to what people think, if you go back and look at the history, whenever the Fed has been hiking interest rates and slowing economic growth, bonds perform exceptionally well. Not, they, they tend to go up right at the front end, but on longer duration, go back to 2018, you had a great return out of 10-year treasury bonds during that whole period where the Fed was hiking rates and, and, and tapering their balance sheet. Ah, that's fascinating. And I think that's why you know professionals like you uh, are great people to leverage uh, your, your knowledge because I think that's kind of counterintuitive to the average sort of armchair observer here. Um, great. All right. Well, look, um, I, I want to ask you about you know any trades that your your organization made this week. I think you've already kind of just told us um, you guys you know took a bit off the table before uh, the, the Fed meetings came out. The Fed minutes came out. You raised some cash. Um, it sounds like you're kind of waiting here to see uh, are we going to remain within the, the that that you know traditional standard deviation um, range and and you know still within the sort of bullish uh, longer term trend. And if so, if stocks get oversold, you'll you'll probably put that cash to work. But if not, obviously, you'll then say, "Hey, look, something's changed," and you'll you'll change your strategy then. Correct? Yeah, exactly. Look, and, and let, you know, talking about portfolio management, you know, where people make mistakes is they tend to make big moves, and you know, portfolio management is like a game of football. And in terms of you know, we always say football is a game of inches, right? That's, if I can just make small gains, you know, and keep making first downs. I can eventually get to the goal line. You know, trying to throw a Hail Mary every down, you know, I might get lucky every now and then and, and have one caught and make a touchdown, but probably more often than not, either I'm going to be incomplete or get intercepted, one of the two. Um, Good analogy. Thing, yeah, same thing in, in uh, managing money is that these are about small changes. You know, we, we, we reduce exposure when things get overbought. We add exposure when things get oversold. And, and we also change where our allocation is. So last year we were more growth, a little, we had value in our portfolio last year, but a little bit more growth. This year we're, we're starting to seriously talk about swapping that balance around, having a bit more value in our portfolio and a little bit less on the growth side because value should perform better in an environment where the Fed is hiking rates and, and lowering um, uh, their balance sheet. So, you know, it's going to, people start to focus more on fundamentals. And we're seeing that occur right now. Stocks like Verizon, AT&T, uh, Philip Morris, uh, General Mills, they've had huge runs here over the last month or so. So people are kind of chasing that value trade. Um, I do warn you, I caution you here about trying to chase it right now that that trade is over, uh, very overbought on a short-term basis. And we've seen these kind of little moments of where value shows up and it's like, oh my gosh, the value trades back and then it's gone and everything's back to growth and you lose all your money. So, you know, it's, we want to make sure that value trade trend is going to, to be sticky. So we're already, we're already currently long, you know, some value stocks in our, in our, in our portfolio, companies like ExxonMobil uh, and some of the energy stocks, which are, which are value kind of traditional value, uh, companies, uh, companies like CVS Health, which have very good fundamental quality to them. Um, we own companies like Costco, some really boring companies like Procter & Gamble. Now, they've had huge runs and they're very overbought here, but 
if money continues to migrate in that area, we'll continue to look for more opportunities in that space. All right, great. Well, real quick, as we begin to wrap things up here, as you look to next week, anything in particular that you're going to be monitoring next week, either announcement wise or just, you know, looking at the technicals? Well, you know, announcement wise, we're pretty much through most of it. I mean, we got some basic economic data coming out. And, you know, one thing to watch for in the economic data is we're starting to see uh, economic indicators like the ISM services index has peaked and rolled over, the manufacturing index has peaked and rolled over. Uh, we're starting to see a fallout of a lot of the semiconductor supply lines. So a lot of this inflationary push that we saw from the supply chain disruption looks like, I'm not saying it is, but looks like we may be starting to kind of fall that out a bit. Now that will start to lead back to more deflationary pressures in the economy on that side of the ledger. Wage pressure is still going to be inflationary at least for a while. So we, you know, we're, we're kind of paying attention to that a little bit, but really when we get to next week, it's going to be really mostly about technical action of the markets on, on a daily or a weekly, even a monthly basis. You know, valuations, economics, those things really don't have a lot to do with the market. It's really mostly about market psychology. When you're talking about, you know, months and months and years and years, that's where the fundamentals really start to play in a lot. And, and we're just not to that focus just yet. Everybody's very short term focused right now. All right, great. And then um, just making it personal for the viewers here, you know, had we been having this conversation, uh, you know, a week or two ago, um, you know, there would have been probably the seasonal recommendation of, hey, you might want to do some tax loss selling, right? Um, we're here at the beginning of a new year. Anything that, uh, you know, today's viewers should be just considering about the particular timing of where we are in the year here or anything else that's just sort of a general recommendation for people at, at this moment? Yeah, yeah, well, you know, first of all, you know, yes, the, the answer is is absolutely this is the beginning of a new year. So, you know, if you're long, you know, one of the things I always find very fascinating when I talk to a client or a prospect, they'll go, well, I don't want to sell that stock because I don't want to pay taxes on it. Um, there's a great way to not ever pay taxes on a stock is to turn it to a loser and then sell it. <laughs> yeah, um, make it a loss. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and trust me, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this in the past. I mean, huge gains just wind up going away. And, and, and look, you know, if you take a look at a lot of the meme stocks that were last year that had people had huge gains in, they didn't want to sell them. Those are back in the red now. So you can sell them now at a loss and have no gains. Um, but this is one time of the year where you can sell stuff now and not have to pay taxes on it until next year. So I would really go through my portfolio, look at things where if I own companies with big gains um, that are not really fundamentally very strong, don't have a lot of revenue growth, uh, you know, those type of things, but they've just been really kind of been chased by the markets. You know, doesn't mean sell all of it. You know, this is the one thing that's always interesting to me. I say, you know, hey, take some profits. Everybody goes, well, I'm gonna sell it all. I'm gonna sell the whole thing. No, just if you own, you know, 5% of a company, trim it back to three or four, whatever it was that you originally paid for it, and then, you know, hold that cash or invest it somewhere else. And this is how we manage our portfolio. Every position or portfolio has a weight to it. And when that position gets, you know, out of tolerance, for instance, we own, we've owned Ford forever, and that stock's had a huge run lately. And so we've been trimming it off into this rally. It doesn't mean we're selling for it. It just means that we just keep re, you know, bringing it back to our original 3% weight. And then when it grows to four, we trim it back to three. And when it grows to four, we trim it back to three. But we're capturing that cash. So if something does break, then you know, we've, we've, we've benefited from some harvesting. And, and sometimes I have to have our conversation about how portfolio management's like gardening. Um, 
because there's a really good analogy between uh, you know tending a garden and your portfolio. But you know, harvesting your vegetables out every now and then, you have to do that. Otherwise, everything just rots on the vine, right? And and that's the real point about portfolio management that it's, it's so important that I think people forget about. And this is a great time of the year to do it because you can do it now. Think about where your portfolio needs to be risk-wise for the year. And whatever taxes that you incur right now, you've got the rest of the year to have some losses to offset those gains. And you don't have to pay taxes until next year. And if for some reason, the, the government raises taxes on individuals, raises the capital gains rate or whatever it is, um, you know, you're going to lock in a lower tax rate now as well. All right, Lance. Well, that was wonderful. Um, next time we'll go deep into your gardening analogy there. I think that's going to be really useful for a lot of people. And for folks watching, look, the, the ultimate uh, purpose and mission of this channel and, and new programs like this is to help you make smarter decisions in terms of building your wealth and managing your portfolios. If you want to talk to a experienced seasoned uh, professional portfolio manager like Lance, um, just go to wealthion.com and you can set up a free consultation with one of our endorsed financial advisors. It really, folks, is just a public service. It's a chance for you to have you know, an experienced advisor like Lance and his team uh, take a look at your personal financial situation, give you their best advice. And look, it, there's no obligation to work with them. These consultations are totally free. So if you want to take that insight and do it yourself, great. Um, but I think for a lot of people watching this, you know, you're hearing a lot of the expertise and the science that truly successful portfolio managers employ. And, you know, we want to make sure that people are getting the best attention. Uh, their portfolios are getting the best attention because at the end of the day, we're all in this journey of trying to be good stewards of our personal wealth. Well, folks, I really hope you've enjoyed this program. Uh, if you've got any feedback in terms of what you liked, what you didn't like, what you'd like to see uh, going forward in, in new iterations of this, just let us know in the comments section below. Um, Lance, it's been a joy. I think we, I've really enjoyed this first, uh, this first inaugural program here. I'm looking forward to doing this with you on a weekly basis, but thanks so much for joining us on this. Absolutely. Love to do it. Can't wait till next week. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see what next week's have in store. Thanks for watching, everybody.